I want you to hit me as hard as you can. More than three decades after it first hit theaters, director John Carpenter's madcap martial arts oddity, Big Trouble in Little China, is considered a classic, and Kurt Russell's hapless hero, Jack Burton, has become one of the actor's most iconic characters. Everybody relax, I'm here. But that definitely wasn't always the case. Big Trouble in Little China was indeed many things. Carpenter himself once described it as an action, adventure, comedy, kung fu, ghost story, monster movie. However, one thing it was not was a box office success. So we have to ask, what the f happened to this movie? In the early 1980s, fledgling screenwriters Gary Goldman and David Z. Weinstein were inspired by Asian mystical martial arts movies such as the early work of Chinese filmmaker Choi Huck and were intrigued by the real-life Tong Wars that occurred in San Francisco's Chinatown during the end of the 19th century. The result of these influences was a screenplay called Lotus, a supernatural western set in the late 1800s. The story followed a buffalo hunter named Wiley Prescott, who helps a Chinese railroad worker named Sung save his fiancée, Lotus, from the clutches of an evil sorcerer named Lo Pan. Along the way, Wiley searches for his stolen horse and falls for a woman who rescues Chinese women from forced prostitution. The writing team's agent thought the screenplay would interest the studios, but requested a title change. After tossing around possible names like Chinatown Gun, they decided on Big Trouble in Little China. The renamed script languished until the box office success of Romancing the Stone ignited the market for adventure stories, and the screenplay landed in the hands of 20th Century Fox Studios' then-president Larry Gordon. Although Hollywood westerns were on a downward trend in the wake of director Michael Cimino's notorious 1980 flop, Heaven's Gate, Gordon wanted to retain the script's period setting. Having produced Walter Hill's 48 Hours and The Warriors, Gordon approached the director, who had also traveled into cowboy territory with the 1980 western The Long Riders. But Hill wasn't interested in doing a special effects-driven movie and passed on the project. Meanwhile, Goldman and Weinstein had visions of stardom, convinced that their idea had commercial blockbuster potential. They thought it could revive the western genre from its slump and also launch a major new franchise on the level of Raiders of the Lost Ark. But the studio was having second thoughts about making a big budget western, and instead solicited the script to other writers in search of alternate pitches. It was the take by screenwriter W.D. Richter that got the studio's attention. Oscar nominated for the 1980 Robert Redford drama Brubaker, Richter was a go-to guy for studio rewrites at the time. He also has genre experience from 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers update and the 1979 adaptation of Dracula, and had directed another oddball genre mashup, the 1984 sci-fi adventure The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension which joined Big Trouble in Little China on the list of box office duds destined for future cult status. Richter kept the basic skeleton of Goldman and Weinstein's original tale, but brought the time period forward to the modern day. Swapping out a stolen horse with the Pork Chop Express, and rather than play the story straight, Richter injected a more lively comedic tone to the proceedings. Cowboy Wiley Prescott transformed into motormouth pig hauling truck driver Jack Burton as Richter blasted through a reworked draft in a matter of weeks. With Richter's new contemporary version of the script, Fox then made an offer to director John Carpenter. At the time, Carpenter's career was on the upswing. His Antarctica alien thriller, The Thing, had an infamously cold reception from critics and crowds when it arrived in 1982. But his 1983 adaptation of Stephen King's Christine was a modest success. And the 1984 sci-fi romance Starman had been relatively well received earning an Oscar nomination for star Jeff Bridges, the sort of positive attention that redeemed Carpenter in the eyes of the studios. 
Carpenter loved the high-energy script and agreed to make the movie. He was already a fan of Hong Kong action movies like Five Fingers of Death, The One-Armed Boxer, Master of the Flying Guillotine, and the outrageous supernatural kung fu movie Zoo, Warriors from the Magic Mountain. He and Richter actually knew each other from film school at USC, and they got together to tweak the script a bit further. The crucial caveat with the project was that it came with a ticking clock. Fox was concerned about competing against another upcoming Asian-influenced adventure, the Eddie Murphy vehicle, The Golden Child, which, coincidentally, Carpenter was offered and turned down. Needing to rush Big Trouble into the pipeline in order to beat The Golden Child to theaters, the project was given a summer release date and a budget of $25 million to cover the elaborate sets, costumes, and special effects. With just 10 weeks of pre-production time to craft the fantasy realm of the movie's Lol China, Carpenter brought in frequent collaborator Larry Franco to produce and serve as first assistant director. Franco had teamed with Carpenter on most of his early works. Along with other projects that collapsed, like the adaptation of Stephen King's Firestarter, and, believe it or not, the John Candy comedy Armed and Dangerous. That wasn't the only reunion on Big Trouble in Little China. Carpenter also recruited production designer and editor Tommy Lee Wallace from Halloween and The Fog, along with cinematographer Dean Cundy, who shot those two films along with Escape from New York and The Thing. But the movie needed a leading man. Feeling like it should have a known actor to match Eddie Murphy's A-list status, Carpenter half-heartedly suggested Clint Eastwood and Jack Nicholson, but both were unavailable. Larry Franco, who had known Kurt Russell since he was a teenager, suggested the actor for Jack Burton. Carpenter already had the same idea, having directed Russell in the Elvis TV movie, Escape from New York, and The Thing. On Escape from New York, Carpenter had quibbled over the casting with the financiers, who instead wanted Tommy Lee Jones for the Snake Plissken role. However, when it came to Jack Burton, Fox was receptive to Russell's casting, and it was the actor himself who was concerned about whether he was considered bankable enough. He also expressed some hesitation over the script and questioned just how to play the character, but Carpenter and Russell dialed into an approach for the low-functioning protagonist, which the director describes as John Wayne without a clue. In the official making of Big Trouble in Little China book, Russell says of his cocky yet incompetent pseudo-hero, I always imagine Jack Burton going to the screening of Big Trouble in Little China, his autobiography, and he's shocked at what he's watching but not able to say anything about it because the audience is enjoying it so much he would have to go along with it. That idea blossomed as John and I were working together on it. But even with all his bluster, Jack's response to the Unreal is perfectly relatable. I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. Jack's primary concern in life is his truck, and it's his friend Wang Chi who inadvertently drags Jack into an outrageous quest to rescue his kidnapped fiance from the clutches of an ancient evil in the Chinatown underground. For the dragon of the Blackpool restaurant owner, who's practically the movie's main character, Carpenter wanted Hong Kong martial arts superstar Jackie Chan. The studio was initially reluctant, with concerns about Chan's English-speaking ability. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? And by the time they approached the actor, he turned it down. Carpenter then cast Dennis Dunn, a Chinese-American theater actor who had recently made his big-screen debut in Michael Chimino's Year of the Dragon. Although Dunn had some martial arts experience in Tiger Crane and Taekwondo, he worked diligently with the stunt choreographers to further hone his abilities, particularly sword work. For Chinatown lawyer and criminal rights activist Gracie Law, Carpenter chose theatrically trained actor Kim Cattrall, who at the time was mainly known from Hollywood comedies Police Academy and Porky's. Veteran character actor James Hong was cast as the villain, the nefarious sorcerer and Chinatown businessman Lo Pan. Lo Pan. Yes. The godfather of Little China, Mr. David Lopan. 
You mean the David Lopan that's chairman of the National Orient Bank and owns the Wing Kong Import-Export Trading Company, but who's so reclusive that no one's even laid eyes on this guy in years? Yeah, that Lopan. Rounding out the main cast were Kate Burton as eager reporter Margot Litzenberger and Donald Lee as Dragon of the Blackpool maitre d' Eddie Lee, both making their feature debuts. Model Susie Pai was cast as Wang's green-eyed significant other, Mao Ying, while Victor Wong played cantankerous Chinatown tour guide and wizard Egg Shen, who supplied arcane proverbs and a six-demon bag. For the Three Storms, Carpenter was inspired by the Masters of Death, a trio of lethal brothers in the samurai movie Shogun Assassin. Carter Wong, James, and Pax Peter Kwong filled the roles of Thunder, Lightning, and Rain, the mysterious elemental warriors with preposterous straw hats. Meanwhile, activists in the Asian community have been trying to derail Big Trouble from the moment it started casting. Furious with the racist stereotypes in the recent Year of the Dragon, protesters wanted to discredit the notion of a white director making a movie about Chinese mythology and culture. This frustrated Carpenter, who had gone to great lengths to be inclusive, making a high-profile Hollywood summer release popular with only three white actors among a small army of Asian performers. San Francisco's Chinatown and its secret subterranean world were created on the Fox backlot with incredible sets by prolific production designer John Lloyd, who had worked with Carpenter on The Thing. April Ferry was responsible for all the costumes, from Jack's knee-high moccasins and Wang's practical jumpsuit, to the ornate wedding ceremony gowns and Lopan's extravagant wardrobe. Handling visual effects was Boss Film Studios, led by Oscar winner Richard Edlund, who had worked on Poltergeist, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and the original Star Wars trilogy. The movie had an effects budget of $2 million, which Edlund admits had to be stretched for a project of such scope and ambition. One of the more memorable encounters in the movie also proved to be one of the more challenging. The flying eye guardian that roamed the catacombs and served as an organic surveillance drone for villain Lopan. In the days before CGI, the creature required an abundance of moving parts, a good chunk of the effects budget, and a few dozen people to bring it to life. Filming the floating monster necessitated its own matting system, engineered specifically for the movie. Special effects supervisor Steve Johnson, who had previously showcased his talents on Ghostbusters, said the Guardian was probably the most difficult thing I've ever been asked to create. The effects team had to really use their imaginations for other elements that were only given brief descriptions such as the hairy wild man brute that snatches Gracie Law in the third act, and the sewer demon, referred to in the script only as some kind of slimy thing. Writer W.D. Richter admitted this wasn't due to a lack of creativity, but instead time constraints, saying, Quite honestly, when you're writing it with a tight schedule, you can't spend a lot of time working out what a sewer demon looks like. To make sets seem larger and conserve money, the movie used old-school methods like cardboard cutouts to populate rooms filled with statues, and constructing hallways that were made physically smaller as they receded to create the illusion of distance. Another optical trick was the runaway wheelchair scene, in which Jack appears to go helplessly careening down a steep corridor, but the set was actually flat and built to appear slanted, with the actor just riding along a level track and the camera perspective and Russell's panicked reaction creating the sensation of zoom and doom. The things that Carpenter most wanted to bring to his unorthodox adventure were Chinese magic and over-the-top martial arts fight sequences, which had never been seen before in a major Hollywood movie. The Chinatown alley where the Chang Sing fighters faced their rivals, Lo Pan's Wing Kong enforcers, was envisioned as a kind of portal, the moment where Jack essentially transitions from the real to the mystical. Carpenter's casting calls filled the ranks with skilled martial arts coordinators and stuntmen like Kenny Indoso, James Liu, and Al Leong. 
The Dynamic Alley free-for-all was shot in only three days, with little time for rehearsal. Carpenter relied on the experienced stunt coordinators to put together smaller pieces of the complicated sequence. Jeff Yamada, who was cast as the Lords of Death gang leader, even ended up playing a bunch of different combatants during the fight scene, using various costumes and facial hair as disguises. For the spectacular climax in the Great Arcade, where Jack and his colleagues interrupt Lopan's wedding to his green-eyed brides, Carpenter wanted the scene to be more elegant than the bone-snapping alley battle, but was under a similar time crunch and used every trick in the book. He incorporated trampolines more than the now standard wire work to send fighters airborne. The Chinese hand magic battle between Egg Shen and Lo Pan was largely improvised and then polished with effects by Boss Film. An inverted set and crafty editing helped achieve Wang's mad dash around the arc. Jack, of course, spent most of the fight on the floor. Somehow, the movie came together. It's all in the reflexes. Carpenter had concocted a bold, uniquely genre-defying experience a big-budget feature with only a handful of non-Asian actors, which was a rarity at the time. His characters went against the expected tropes, with a female lead whose confidence and sharp intellect were notable, but amusing contrast to her theoretical love interest, who was long on bravado. We may be trapped. And short on smarts. The hero, so to speak, was a swaggering but likable blowhard, who only wanted to get his stolen truck back, while the movie's ostensible sidekick handled all the actual heavy lifting. And there were loads of outlandish ideas and crazy action all set to Carpenter's synth rock fantasy score. The movie had rushed through post-production in four months to make its release date, but all involved were happy with what they had created. After that, however, Carpenter's challenges really began. According to producer Larry Franco, during one of the studio screenings, an unnamed executive stepped out early and returned later, only to then supply a long list of notes detailing what he believed were problems with the film. Except all of the concerns occurred during the span of the movie that the executive missed. Another demand from the studio was for Carpenter to cut out everything funny, and after that edit of the movie tested poorly with preview audiences, they asked him to put it all back in. Put simply, the studio wanted Indiana Jones and that's not what Carpenter gave them. Instead, they got something more like an adult short round, who's joined by Indy's bumbling distant cousin, Jack. The CEO of Fox felt strongly that the hero wasn't heroic enough, demanding the addition of a new opening scene in which Egg Shen literally proclaims that Jack Burton is courageous. As Carpenter says, Bullshit, he was an idiot, but I shot it. There was also the matter of credit, even though it was their first feature script, the original writers Goldman and Weinstein were bitter over the idea of being rewritten. To add insult to injury, they learned that only Richter's name was now publicly associated with the movie, and they went to the Writers Guild for arbitration. The pair ended up with a written by credit, and Richter was listed with an adaptation. Goldman might have taken things personally, when he later went on to rewrite Total Recall, the name of the film was changed to Richter. Still, there were some high expectations for the movie, at least with the star and director. At press junkets before the release, the buzz was decidedly positive after preview screenings tested well. Reviewers and interviewers would continually ask Russell how it felt to be in the next gigantic blockbuster, and his response was always humble yet hopeful. But not long after, he and Carpenter wondered where the promotion for the movie was, even speculating if the release date got changed. As Russell stated in later interviews, after executives didn't connect with the movie, basically a war broke out. The marketing department clashed with the studio heads, but really never had a handle on what the movie was. The promotional campaign was delayed and ill-conceived, with confounding trailers and cryptic print advertisements appearing just before release, asking, who is Jack Burton? For moviegoers, nobody knew. 
and nobody seemed interested in finding out. The botched late campaign also had a comparatively limited budget dedicated to it. Instead, Fox was funneling money and energy into advertising for Aliens and The Fly, both of which were scheduled for release that summer, shortly after Big Trouble in Little China. For all intents, Fox had sabotaged their own release because they either didn't know how to sell it or just didn't want to. The studio had also slotted Carpenter's difficult-to-define movie in the middle of a stacked summer against crowd-pleasers like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Back to School, The Karate Kid 2, and Top Gun. Big Trouble in Little China was released to an unsuspecting audience on July 2nd, 1986, and definitely didn't shake the pillars of heaven. It landed outside the box office top 10 for its opening weekend as moviegoers saw, well, pretty much everything else. Like Ruthless People, About Last Night, Psycho 3, The Great Mouse Detective, and Prince's Vanity Project, Under the Cherry Moon. Some critics seemed to understand the movie's playful vibe, but many others sent it to the hell of being cut to pieces with disapproval aimed at Russell, perceived Asian stereotypes, an over-reliance on special effects, and a lack of compelling characters. The bonkers Asian adventure was swiftly suffocated by the summer's other popular offerings. Karate Kid 2 was the second biggest movie of the season, while Top Gun, yet another movie Carpenter turned down, had opened in May and was still on screens by November, ending with $176 million. Two weeks after the Porkchop Express sputtered into theaters, James Cameron's anticipated sequel, Aliens, became the late summer's must-see action thriller to the tune of $85 million. And Big Trouble in Little China quietly disappeared into the mist, with a total of just $11.1 million. And when the movie didn't deliver at the box office, Carpenter was ultimately blamed. To this day, everyone involved in the production passionately reflects on how much fun they had while actually making the movie, but Carpenter describes his later experience with the studio and release as just unpleasant. It completely soured him on working with the major studios. Larry Franco cites Universal's harsh and sudden dismissal of Carpenter from Firestarter after the thing underperformed as the first crack in the filmmaker's relationship with the studios, but Big Trouble in Little China was the backbreaker. Exhausted with Hollywood politics and executive interference, Carpenter went independent with his next movies. Given creative autonomy and relatively minuscule budgets of $3 million, the director subsequently made Prince of Darkness, also featuring Big Trouble actors Dennis Dunn and Victor Wong, and the sci-fi thriller They Live, which like many of Carpenter's efforts later achieved cult status, thanks to the continued relevance of its underlying social commentary, along with star Roddy Piper's enthusiastic insistence on the wearing of sunglasses. Carpenter was lured back to the studio minefield for the $40 million Chevy Chase thriller Memoirs of an Invisible Man at Warner Brothers. But the star and director had conflicting ideas over the movie's tone, Chase was out to prove he could do something dark and serious, while Carpenter wanted more of a romantic thriller along the lines of Hitchcock's North by Northwest. The marketing and audiences were also divided, and the movie vanished from the box office with $14 million. After that, Carpenter's filmography and his relationship with studios were both tenuous. With the failure of Ghosts of Mars in 2001 prompting him to retreat from filmmaking for a decade, but Big Trouble in Old China found a whole new audience in home video, with appreciation that only grew with each passing year. The movie was ahead of its time, and late though the praise may be, Carpenter and Russell feel delighted and vindicated by the phenomenon it slowly became since its disappointing theatrical release. In the mid-1990s, after its massive success on VHS, Fox even planned a made-for-TV sequel that would have seen only Egg Shen returning. And recently, Dwayne The Rock Johnson has explored the notion of somehow remaking or continuing the story. The movie's cultural impact over the decades is undeniable, influencing video games, 
and filmmakers like Taika Waititi, who cited Big Trouble in Little China when pitching the Marvel for Thor Ragnarok. The movie had also generated merchandise like comic book series, action figures, t-shirts, and board games, and even inspired a music video with a James Hong cameo. But Carpenter's wildly original adventure endures on its own. That resilient legacy doesn't seem like it should have ever been in question with a character like Jack Burton, who remains self-assured even when smeared with lipstick or knocking himself unconscious. Or, as he put it, Just remember what old Jack Burton does when the earth quakes and the poison arrows fall from the sky and the pillars of heaven shake. Yeah, Jack Burton just looks that big old storm right square in the eye and he says, Give me your best shot, pal. I can take it. <laughs>